What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Kings and Priests. I'm Michael. I'm Dane. We are here in uh, rainy, cold Los Angeles today. Mm-hmm. So if you hear yeah. some rain behind me, that's what you're hearing is a, a rainstorm in L.A., which doesn't happen all that often. But uh, we need it. I could have. Yeah, we do. Stayed right? in Utah, man, where where it snows and it's I was, I was going to say you came out here for warm, warm sun, and yeah, uh, you're not getting it. Golf and you know exactly. Friends and <laughs> anyway, so you you can't even enjoy the cold weather here and ski. You have to just kind of sit inside and right. You know, there's nothing to do. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, hey, we're going to jump into um some. You know, just basically, basically walk through some like startup terms here in a second. We're just yep. going to kind of define some of them, talk through some of them. But before we do that, I want, um, well, I'm just going to take the opportunity to get some advice from Dean here, from from oh. one founder who's starting something brand new uh, to someone who's been doing it for a while. Um, I think basically one thing that, at, at least I think for a lot of people, maybe in my position who are young starting a company um, in like the earliest of early days. Right? Um, right. It's really hard, especially for someone who like, I like to stay informed. I like to know what's happening in the world. I spend a lot of time reading. Um, so what That's I want to do is I just want to, ru- I want to run through a list of what I've been seeing in the news, whether it's in politics, finance, the world. Um, and I basically want you to explain to me how, as a founder, we should be thinking about some of this macro stuff. Should we be thinking yep. about it at all? Is it different for different people in different situations? So just in the last couple of weeks, obviously, we've got a new COVID variant. Uh, as of last night, our wonderful state of California instituted um, another statewide mask mandate. Um, so obviously COVID. Yes, exactly. So COVID's obviously not going away. Um, there's obviously talk of, well, there's not talk of, there is high inflation, right? Um, yep. higher inflation than we've seen in how long would you say like decades, right? 30, um, yeah, I think 30, 38 years or something. 38 years. We've got, um, you know, talk of the fed tapering right, rising rate, you know, raising rates next year. This reconciliation bill may or may not happen. Growth stocks are just getting totally obliterated. So everyone's yep. Robin hood and Coinbase cryptos crashing. Basically everyone's growth stock portfolio is just <laughs> in, yep. in the trash. It's on all of this. Yes, exactly, exactly. So I, we're going to run through these, and then I want you to tell me how we should think, and and I want to hear your opinions, and then and then we wake up and see, like last week, the Wall Street Journal talks about the headline was the Walton Zuckerberg Google founders and Elon Musk sold around sixty five billion in stocks through yep. November, which is up fifty percent from twenty twenty. The the headline today, so today's Tuesday, December fourteenth, when we wake up, is Elon sells even more stock, right? Yep. Um. Yep. So. It seems like on Twitter and on the finance investing blogs and sites, there's this talk of like, is this whole party slowing or coming to an end with all of this in the world? And honestly, I, the reason I'm asking you this is because I literally found myself over the weekend as someone who has like started a company, but not even started it yet, right? Like we're still in the like pre, we're not even newborns yet, but I found myself literally laying in bed going, Panicking. How do I need to do, do I need to respond to this? What do I need right. to do? Do I need to yeah. think one way or the other? Do I put my head down and focus? So right. I guess my question is, how is a founder supposed to think about the stuff happening? Yeah. Uh, kind of that that macro level stuff. Right. What do we focus on? What do we listen to? What do we not? What um right. what so are your thoughts on that? I I always err on the side of being informed, right? So I okay. want to know everything. 
and the founder, business owner, human, husband, father, the, the, the person who doesn't want to know the facts of what's going on and wants to put their head in the sand is not going to do well in the big picture. So always err on the side of having more information about everything. That's, that's kind of my, my place. It's, it's hard when the information that is not what you want to hear, but you got to hear it. And from, you know, I'm dealing with stuff all the time in HR, right? This, this person's doing this and this manager's not performing like that. And you know, you just got to know, and you don't want to mm -hmm. be a person that does not, not want to know. So get all right. the information. Have, every morning I read at least three email newsletters. I read the economist, I read the wall street journal. And I kind of scan through a couple other new sites it takes me about, mm -hmm. you know, an hour, um, mm -hmm. before, you know, I like to try and kind of pray and sit on my mind and read the scriptures first <laughs> and get, get myself a good foundation. Yeah. Get your, um, get your mind and, right and before the craziness. Through, yeah. <laughs> and then dive into what is usually pretty negative from there on. <laughs> so, yep, um, yep. yeah, get your, get your faith foundation built and then go and, uh, go and get the information you need for the day. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Like just let's fire down this list and I'll give you the, I'll give you okay. a quick kind of two cents on each one. Yep. So we got COVID, COVID, new COVID variant, mask mandate, you know, does that even matter anymore? Here's my, it, it doesn't, it doesn't. Here's my vibe. Personally, I'm vaccinated. I go to boost. Mm -hmm. I'm not anti-vax. I'm not pro-vax. I'm not, I'm just like, this is like the flu. Yeah. I used to take flu shots every year. Same. And this is going forward, probably going to be like the flu and it's going to get less yep. and less. The Omicron thing looks, it could be, you know, not as powerful strain and like, but you know, look, look, the whole world is shutting down. I think one person to this point has died from Omicron one. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the way government react to me is, is over the top. I'm going to go right. live my life. Um, Same. You know, one of the reasons I, we left California is like, I, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to wear a mask forever. I'm just not. So right. we moved straight because <laughs> we could. So anyway, yep. get, get back um, and go live your life. And that's yep. my vibe on it. Yep. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, there's too much. There's just too much to do, you know, even like yeah. I do, do the business thing. Yeah. I'm a pastor. And I just thought I've got to be able to I got to be around people. I can't not I can't sit at home and isolated like there is stuff no. to do. There's churches to build. There's that's, businesses it's been to build, proven so. that is worse. Right. That is worse right. for children. That is worse yep. for people because suicides are up, depression's up, the whole thing. So the isolation thing doesn't work, and and mm -hmm. so we're done with that, and it kills businesses. So you know, yep, get on with the life. Yep, yep. Okay, so let's talk inflation and uh, you know Fed taper and possible raise of rates next yep. year. Uh, some people yep. said two to three, two to three rate increases yep. next year. So what about that? That's going to happen. The market mm -hmm. is reacting right now. The market reacts to what is coming in the future, typically. Mm -hmm. And, you know, rates are going to go up. Inflation is going to taper, come back at some point. They're going to stop printing all the money they're going to print. Well, mm -hmm. well, so inflation is going to stay up for a while. Then it's going to come back. Mm -hmm. uh, they're going to stop printing money here in the U.S. Um, mm -hmm. which will, you know, jitter the market because we've been pumping trillions of dollars into the market to keep it all flowing. That's got to come mm -hmm. back. We can't keep printing money. And then interest mm -hmm. rates are going to go up. How much, you know, maybe three quarters of a point in total, they'll probably do 25 mm -hmm. basis points three times. Mm -hmm. Historically, psychologically, that's like, oh my gosh, rates are going up. Historically, going from like 3% interest to 4% interest is not that big a deal. When I, I, right. when I bought my first house, it, interest was 13%. So yeah, um, yeah. put it all in perspective. 
and, and yep. prepared, but yeah, all that's happening. Yep. And, and so then kind of all of that leads to what is then, well, at least some people speculate growth stocks crashing, crypto crashing. So yep. that's either two thoughts, yep. the market reacting to that, or people essentially taking some chips off the table um, oh. and saying it's been a good run. You know, what do you yep. think about that? It's, and, and this ties into your last point about all of the, um, Elon and all the rest taking all this money off the table. So it's, mm-hmm. Some of it is like the market is at the top and mm-hmm. you're crazy. If you've written this, if you've written crypto and made a ton of money, I would take a big mm-hmm. chunk of it and go to put it in something safe. I'd go and buy a house. Mm-hmm. I'd go and do whatever. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't ride that forever. Now, is it going to keep going up over the long term? Probably, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of crypto. I just don't have an opinion. I don't right. understand it right. that much. I yep. haven't gone down that rabbit hole. But right. um, the market is always self-correcting. That's the beautiful thing of markets. When things mm-hmm. get overheated and there's too much um, demand and not enough supply, that's what happens. And then people make a bunch of money and boom, they, they go, you know what? I'm going to take some chips off and I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, get some money back. So that's just the cyclical nature of markets. And it's not unhealthy. I think it's very healthy and it's right. kind of frothy at the moment. Everything's expensive. Real estate, um, crypto, stock market. Prices at the grocery store, everything is very high right now um, for varying mm-hmm. factors. And that's the cycle of the free market economy. Mm-hmm. So how does a young founder think about this stuff and let it inform um, yeah. the way that they, because I like, I mean, literally I, I found myself over the weekend, like going, okay, wh- do I need to rethink all of this? Should we like, should I get ahead of something? Do I need to be thinking about what happens if six months from now there is nobody's giving, you know, nobody's investing in anything. You start thinking about all that kind of stuff. And, um, I I guess the question is, what do you think about and how do you think about it? And then, and then what noise do you just block out and keep, keep your head down and build? So there's a few ways to think about this. One, when you see a pullback or a downturn, it spells opportunity. So I think that's Mm -hmm. the way most entrepreneurs think. A lot of companies were started in the 08 financial crisis. A lot of companies were, you know, started just after the dot-com boom in mm-hmm. 2001. You have to, in some respects, ignore the market, right? I'm going to build my business. This is my mm-hmm. product or service I'm going to create. And I might have to bootstrap it a bit longer. I might have to work my second side hustle a bit longer, but mm-hmm. this is what I'm going to do. And there is a myriad of mm-hmm. great companies that have started in tough times. Okay. Right. So, I don't think the market determines whether an entrepreneur is going to do what he's going to do. It may make you adjust how you're going to do it. It may adjust some timing uh, things, but you, essentially you're going to go to market and you're going to build your product and you're going to go for it. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter if the whole sky is falling. If you're passionate, that's what you should be doing. Having said right. that, um, you do have to make some adjustments along the way. And so, you, you, you know, I think it's in, in our, we're going to go through this glossary of kind of startup terms. One of them is pivot, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it, pivoting is is a kind of a kind of sexy word for changing direction because what you're doing isn't working. Right, so, right. Um, you know, <laughs> sometimes you got to do that, and there's many companies that have done it and done it successfully. Sometimes you pivot mm-hmm. on a cliff too, and you crash the whole thing. Right, right. If you're on the boss to crash anyway, you may as well pivot and crash because you're going to crash going straight ahead. Yeah, right. Give it one more final hell mary before it all. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yep. So yeah, that's great. Um, I think that's th- that's what I just found myself thinking a lot about, and you do just wonder um, 
especially you hear, you know, like these big founders, right? That's generally the loudest voices in the loud. You hear their stories and you hear them talk. I think over the weekend, I heard a story of, you know, a guy who was involved in Facebook early before the 2008 financial crisis, basically seeing it coming, adjusting a few things and going and raising a bunch of money before what was then like this nuclear winner of no new funding, um, really for anything over the course of like 18 months, you know? Um, but I think, I think for someone who's just starting out, they got a small business, they're in the early days. Sounds like what you're saying is, is put your head down, focus, be honest about where you're at, be honest about, um, uh, where you're headed, but getting too caught up in it, uh, generally is just kind of a way to get distracted and kind of lose focus on what the main thing is. 100%. Cool. Um, let's jump into some of these startup terms. Let's go through these. So basically what we want to do is just, um, again, part of the reason we want to do this podcast is, uh, to encourage and inspire and, and, and hear people's stories, but also just to educate, um, uh, just some of the most basic things that we all need to know when starting, starting a business. So let's walk through some of these. Um, there, there are terms that people throw out all the time. Um, uh, so let's go first angel investor. So talk to me about what an angel investor is. Angel investors. Uh, so the, here, the the if you if you're talking about investing in a startup, pre-angel is typically friends and family, right? Family and friends. So, mm-hmm. hey, dad, I got this idea for this product. You know, could you give me fifty grand? And and mm-hmm. so that's the first usually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Angels are people typically that you don't know that have um, a high propensity for risk in when it comes to investing in startups. It's sometimes pre-product, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, if, especially if you've got a track record, if you've done this before and been successful, you can go and say, hey, I've got this idea. But angel investing these days, you know, it's, this is enough money for maybe a year worth of runway to where, you know, you can basically, you know, take 100K right from an angel um, and essentially just go and build the product for 12 months and get product market mm-hmm. fit. And, you know, we're going to talk about these terms, but you're, you want to get this thing proven and off the ground and then hopefully get some kind of revenue because to get the next round, to get any kind of real seed funding, you need to throw some revenue typically, especially if you're a first timer. So angel, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of angels out there that have made a lot of money and they love making hundred thousand dollar bets on companies. They'll make a hundred of them. Right. They'll go and deploy that capital. They'll put it, they'll put a hundred bets at a hundred K and, uh, they need three, three of them to work basically to, mm-hmm. you know, really do well. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And at that point, it's, it is, it's, um, it's informed gambling in some ways. Right. Yep. But it, it is, and, 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 and oftentimes it is it, it's, um, probably a lot more believing in the founder, even more so than the product at that point. Right. V- very much so. Cool. So then we go to, we can just cover these. So seed round series A, B, and C. So yeah. those are just essentially kind of the next round. So uh, seed round is kind of that and first stage, right? Yep. These are just incrementally more amounts that mm-hmm. as the product market fit begins to appear, as the revenue begins to appear, as the scalability of the business begin, begins to be proven, Investors come along and start putting more money. The value of the business is going up. So if my angel investment of a hundred K values you at 1 million, I own 10% of the business. Um, now you've got some products and you've got some revenue and now I might value it at 5 million. 
So next time I'm going to put in 100K, I'm not getting 10% of the business anymore and getting less. So, um, but, you know, seed, A round, B round, C round, all the way through is just, and those rounds can be from 500K to, you know, like SoftBank does, you know, C and D rounds with billions. Mm -hmm. They'll go and put billions into an Uber at, at a stage where it's proven to be, uh, to, you know, to be a, an idea that's going to work and one day potentially be a multi, multi billion dollar company, which those companies, that's what they do. So it's just elevated levels of investment as the company begins to grow and they just call mm -hmm. it seed, A, B, C, D, E until you either IPO or get gobbled up or you sell it, whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Now let's talk about, um, bootstrapping. So uh, obviously I think probably most relevant to uh, people listening to this podcast, especially now we are talking about, you, you know, most relevant terms are going to be things like angel investor, like you said, family and friends. Uh, and then this term bootstrapping, which I think, um, you know, is a word that a lot of people use. Let's talk about what that actually, what it actually yep. means. So this definition I found, and again, I'm sure there's different definitions, but this is when a startup is bootstrapping, it's self-funded. Um, yep. Entrepreneurs use their own savings as well as money from friends and family to get the business right. started. Um, right. More than 80% of startups start out through bootstrapping. Right. If you're a first time entrepreneur, bootstrapping is the way to go for a couple of reasons. Mm -hmm. One, um, it's hard to take other people's money, you know, especially from friends and family. If you don't have something that's got some kind of product market fit, some proof of concept, right? Mm -hmm. So if you can bootstrap your way within 12 rated months, to actually getting that to that point of having a product that you can put into the market might not have any revenue yet. But you've proven to yourself, then you feel fine about going to your dad and saying, Hey dad, you know, could you invest 50 K in this? Cause this is going to get me to the next level. And you might have a couple of high net worth friends or not high net worth people that, you know, want to be involved in startups and they like your concept and your idea. Taking that money after you've bootstrapped it, I think is really good for entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs mm -hmm. need to prove to themselves that this thing is going to work. And if you believe it's going to work. You go get a second job, you go to your savings, you maybe go to a mm -hmm. home equity line if you own a house. These mm -hmm. are highly risky things, right? right? Starting a business is the most riskiest thing you'll probably ever do in your life. And so, you know, you got to prove it to yourself. And the way to go then to investors and say, hey, I put, you know, 18 months of blood, sweat and tears and 200K of my own money into this, you know, product. I've proven that it's, a, that it's needed in the marketplace and I've got revenue. Can you, you know, Give me 500k so I can get a runway of, you know, 18 months and go and take this thing to the next level. Bootstrapping mm -hmm. is phenomenal for the entrepreneur and sets you up to get um, investment capital down the road. Great, great. And I think part of that bootstrapping is getting to this place where our, our next term so is, is MVP, right? Yep. So oftentimes we'll bootstrap to either get to or create what that MVP is, which yep. is essentially minimum viable product. Yep. So a bare bones model of a startup's product that will show its key features and selling points right. without costing a fortune to make a full-fledged product before it has funding. And this is what you guys did with Tithely, yep. right? Yeah, yeah. Strapped like to MVP. It. And I was fortunate, right? One of the co-founders was my son, Barn. He was a, mm -hmm. you know, engineer, computer engineer. So, you know, concept, hey, can we get a giving app? Hey, I'll go build this over here and then we'll go and test it out in the market. So a minimum viable product. And we still now today build MVPs in our company and then we'll test them with customers and we'll get just the basic thing working to get feedback before there's other iterations of the product getting to essentially a 1.0, right? Mm -hmm. But having something that functions and works, it's usable, 
and really proves the concept of the product is uh, empathy. Well, and that's interesting you say that because it would I, I would assume that you guys would have, let's say you come up with this idea for a new product, even a company your size would probably have some, um, you know, some, some, you know, money to like fully fund something. But it sounds like even where you guys are at, it's like, no, let's build this to its, its MVP stage. Let's test it. Uh, let's let some customers use it. And, and I'm sure that you've created some of those that you've completely tossed aside. And then I'm sure you've had ones that you've said, okay, let's put a little bit more time and effort and money into this. So it kind of never ends, right? Getting to that MVP. In software, it doesn't end. Um, and like Mm -hmm. there's that you can waterfall something, which means you're going to build out the whole thing, right? And then just present it Mm -hmm. to the market and which is very risky, costs you a lot. You've Mm -hmm. spent all this money on R and D and I'm going to go spend a million dollars building this app. And I could have spent a hundred grand, you know, with an engineer building me an MVP for two months, three months, and then prove, get the proof of concept into the hands of the marketplace to get some feedback to go and iterate. That's the way, you know, we prefer to do it. Get, get, mm-hmm. get the minimum viable and then just build on that to eventually, you know, a real product that which you would typically be a 1.0 product and then start selling that at scale. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. And so in these early days, I know there's a lot of um, talk about being a part of an accelerator or an incubator, uh, right? So a lot of yep. times these like pre-money, no revenue, either just an idea or again, an MVP. Uh, a lot of people go the incubator or accel- accelerator out. Now, I've heard good things yep. and bad things about being involved in some stuff like mostly this. Mostly good, are probably Not great, predatory, but I think a lot of them are, are pretty good, right? So yeah, most, in terms most of-, of them are great. <laughs> Yep. So we've got incubators and accelerators. Let's talk about the difference between those. So the definition that I have here is basically an incubator offers, you know, resources and mentorship um, to get through some growing pains, right? This is like a long term. um, And basically, they're offering these resources and connections instead, basically for for equity, whereas an accelerator um, is essentially, let's move your idea quickly. Let's move it through the process. Let's get it to a place. Let's get you some money. And let's essentially set you up yep. from for opportunities. So, is that something that you would encourage founders to go after? Um, at what stage do they go after those? What does that process look like? Hundred percent. Like, you know, these are typically run by you know VCs, right? That want to get a bunch of you know hot shots in a in a in the environment where mm-hmm. you know in the in the Bible we call it iron sharpening iron, right? You want to be mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. people that are doing good work. And mm-hmm. so you get ins- inspiration from that. You learn things along the way. You accelerate your ability to, you know, understand what it is to get, to bring something to, to market. Um, and, and we're talking, this is a very, these are very tech heavy terms, you know, incubator, accelerator, typically around software. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, in a kind of broader sense, you, I think it's always wise to be around people that are doing similar things to you so you can learn from each other. And that accelerates the process. But put aside what an incubator and accelerator is in the world of software and tech, just being with like-minded people, I, I mm-hmm. think it's really powerful. And if you can, mm-hmm. you know, get around people that, you know, the original kind of concept, I think, around WeWork, even though it went off the rails, you know, getting a bunch of people in an, in an environment that are entrepreneurs is good for the entrepreneur, right? Mm-hmm. So. This is kind of less about incubator accelerator. This is about the mindset and the concept of getting around other people doing the same thing, getting in community and learning and accelerating whatever you're doing. 
I think the concept is a great one. And then if it leads you to VC money and investors and all the rest of it, great. Um, mm-hmm. but I, you know, you gotta have my open minds to always be learning from people that are, you know, ahead of you. And I think, uh, mm-hmm. that, that's what these things do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. Um, okay. So next we'll talk about basically just the term lean, right? So the goal of a lean startup is to build and test products as quickly and as inexpensively as possible to improve the product through trial and error. So this is essentially, we've kind of touched base on this. This is kind of similar to that MVP, just continually, yeah. um, iterating and iterating and iterating as as inexpensively as possible so and i think founders should always be thinking um lean right yeah 100 and this takes you into the you know the runway kind of terminology right how much mm-hmm. if you take mm-hmm. an investment and my expenses are you know hundred thousand a year which is me taking some income pay my rent get you know run my mm-hmm. world keep keep my product being built um you know and i have you know like 120 grand in the bank that means I got, you know, I got essentially 12 months, 14 months of runway. So yep. you're always measuring your cash against yep. your expenses to determine how long you mm-hmm. keep going. And then when you need to get more funding, um, mm-hmm. you know, you shouldn't like six months by, by the time you get into six months of, of running out of money, you got to be talking about getting other investment. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah, like you said, run rate, that term burn rate, right? It's that, it's kind of just yeah. that same, that same idea. And it's funny because it, it yeah. is so, um, that kind of comes out in such practical ways. Like, do I need this, you know, online subscription tool for $29 a month, right? Like there are just, I mean, you can spend money as a founder in so many right. different ways. And I know I've found myself even more Absolutely. recently just literally looking at like, um, is this something I, I can do myself? Do I really need this? You know, and I've been super intentional about going, do I really need this $12 a month tool that I kind of use once every now and then? Um, uh, no, I don't really need right. that, right? Um, and and that's like kind of in right. its most basic form. Um, but that could go from that to yep. employees. What do I do myself? What do I pay somebody to do? Um, and, and that's probably right. part of being a founder is trying to determine where do I spend money and where do I put my time? And that's kind of that day-to-day uh, decision making that we're making yeah. really every day right and folks the the, the 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 pennies matter the details matter mm-hmm. you might not think like some bit of software for 12.99 is a big deal but you know what if you're burning money you need to save money you got to look at everything so be diligent right that. right um let's talk about um let's go into some of more the kind of the financial kind of the financial terms so let's talk about uh obviously just a word that is said all the time unicorn we could just define that quickly but a unicorn is a startup basically it's a startup that's valued at a billion um and i think right now we're seeing billion plus more unicorns really than we've ever seen before um and it's kind of like a yep yeah Mm -hmm. typically you know whether you're public or private, if you get value that, you know, either by the public market or by private financing rounds at over a billion, you're a unicorn, baby. We all want to be unicorns. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, so let's talk valuation. So valuation is essentially how much is the company worth? Um, this is determined in two ways. It's pre-money and post-money. So pre-money valuation um, is an estimate of how valuable your company is before you receive funding, right? So it helps your early investors determine if it's worth investing in, and then there's post-money valuation. This is how much your company is worth after a round of funding, uh, plus the pre-money valuation. So, how how does somebody value? You know, it's like a, a someone working on their own, a co-founder. Yep. Um, yep. They're trying to sort of raise maybe their first twenty-five or fifty or hundred grand. How do they put a right. valuation, a pre-money valuation, on their company? Well, it's really it's really pre-revenue because valuations mm-hmm. are a multiple of revenue. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
AR, right? What's my, and if I'm selling subscription service, what's my annual recurring revenue? Or if I, you know, fix, you know, a plumber and I, I'm building my plumbing business and I did, you know, 250 grand in, in revenue in 2020, you know, and what's my business worth? What multiple of earnings is I'm going to, is going to determine. So if you don't have a product that's in market and making money, you're making up a valuation, right? Come mm-hmm. on and say, here's my idea. I'm going to, you know, do this thing and we're going to go, you know, most startups in around tech and software or media, you're going to pick a number, you know, pick half mm-hmm. a million. Okay. Your business is worth half mm-hmm. a million. Here's a hundred grand, you know, mm-hmm. that, that gets me the other, a chunk of your business here, right? 20%. Mm-hmm. Um, it's worth a million. Here's a hundred grand. That gets me 10%, right? Post revenue is really how you determine what a business is worth. Mm-hmm. And, and then you, the, 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 the differentiator is the multiplier, right? So mm-hmm. let's say I've got a million in revenue. There's another factor here I'll talk about in a minute. Let's say I've got a mm-hmm. million in revenue and it's software and I'm growing, right? The multiple increases, the more I'm growing. If I'm early stage, I'm growing hundred percent year on year, right? Um, you're going to get a high multiple. You're going to get, even if at an early stage, you're going to get eight times, you know, 10 times, right? So my million dollar revenue growing, it, I'm going to value it at 10 million because this thing's doubling every year. So I'm going to get in now, give you a, a bunch of capital to keep this thing accelerating. When the, when the mm-hmm. growth slows down, the multiples come down, right? So you can be right. growing a hundred percent year on year, but in year five, you still might be at 50% year on year, which is still awesome. Right. Mm-hmm. But I might give you eight times money. Right. So mate, your revenue's gone up. Now I'm doing five million in revenue. You might not get 10 X, but you might get eight X. Now the problem in the last couple of years, there's so much money around to invest those multiples. Are right. For the room. And right. the cost of investing in these companies that are high growth, just, mm-hmm. I mean, you've just got all this silly money coming in that's driven up. Right. Yeah. Both private. And that, so, so companies. when you hear someone say, and that's why we a little pullback in the market. Right. It's, yeah. So when you hear that term valuation is high, right, that's just essentially meaning yep. in the private markets of venture capital yep. investment, even like, like, so if the public market is high or well, the private market is high as well. Yep. Right. Okay. Yeah. Not always, but at the moment, not always, but like right now, common sense is suspended at the moment. So let's yeah. actually come to <laughs> private, a big private company. One of the biggest at the moment is Stripe. Right. Last, Stripe's last funding round valued them at $95 billion. Wow. Now, you're investing at the level, that level, you know, the growth, you know, the revenue, you look at the numbers and you have this thing's so like on fire. This thing mm-hmm. is going to list at some point one day. And so, mm-hmm. you know, the Andreessen's of the world and the, you know, Black Rocks or what they get, just come on and say, hey, we're going to value at 95. You, you need another, you know, 150 million to grow for the next 12, 18 months. And we'll list this thing. It's going to come on the market at $200 billion company, whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's late stage investment in the private sector. But in the, the, the public markets work differently. They get overvalued too, right? And, and the market forces kind of pull them back. So mm-hmm. it's, it's all about multiple of revenue and you take that, that multiple higher, the faster it's growing. If it's, st- I, you know, I'm, I know of a company that I'm a little bit connected to and around that, that has in the public market and man, they had a 1.8, $1.9 billion valuation. They come out with an earnings report, no growth, boom, they, they got 500 million ripped off their value in one mm-hmm. day, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah. 
you know, markets are brutal as well. If you're not, <laughs> you know, and meeting expectation of what the market thinks you should be doing. Yeah. Well, let's, 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 uh, let's use that to, to talk about product market fit. We have a whole episode where we talked a lot about that, but let's just, so if you're, if you're listening and maybe yep. it's the first time you've listened to the podcast, go back. Uh, I think it's our second or third episode where we really, uh, jump really deeply into that. But, um, so like you said, the, the markets can be brutal. So let's talk about product market fit, um, yep. as a startup founder. So product market fit is critical. And, and before you kind of delve into the kind of the geeky, kind of parts mm -hmm. of what that is, you've got to understand what a market is. Okay. So let's go back 2000 years. A market, markets existed 2000 years ago, right? Farmers would grow their crops. They'd bring them to a centralized place somewhere in the middle of the town and they'd sell them. And that was a market. And then you go to the supermarket today, right? Where produce is right. coming on trucks and it, but it's exactly the same thing as a 2000 year old market, you know, He's growing tomatoes, I'm growing turnips, and we're coming in here and people are, you know, even pre-monetary coins and so on, there was maybe trading, right? I'll give you my tomatoes, you give me your zucchinis. Um, and then, you know, <laughs> coins of gold was used, right? There was currency. But the concept of a market must be understood, okay? Number one, product, where does my product fit in a particular market? So let's mm -hmm. say I'm selling pencils to schools. Right. And, uh, so obviously, oh, do schools use pencils? Maybe, maybe not as much these days because they're right. on tablets. So right. if I'm going to try and sell pencils to schools in 2021, maybe that's not a good idea because there's not a great product market opportunity to selling pencils. And if mm -hmm. I sell them digital pencils that run on tablets, Oh, that's mm -hmm. a better product market fit for right. 2022. Right. Right. So, and no matter how much, no matter how much I love pencils, that doesn't mean exactly. that there's a market for the pencils. Right. Well, yeah. Therein, therein lies the uh, entrepreneurial curse. Right. Right. <laughs> Entrepreneur's curse is I love this thing so much. I think it's going to be awesome and everyone's going to want it. And then when it, you yep. go to the market and say, Hey, I got my lead pencils here, which were really good in like 1969. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and I'm coming in 2021 and they're like, we've moved on. That product's not going to yep. fit in this market. Right. Right. Which is, you know, going on to that, kind of that next term of value proposition, right? So yep. product market fit, value proposition really do go yep. hand in hand, right? Value proposition. Does this solve a problem for a customer by offering and, a solution and, that's either new or better or have some sort of unique benefit over the competition? Is it going to solve a problem and is it going to make me money? Right. So, right. It, right. That, and which is kind of more unit economics, right? Like I'm going to sell my pencils, you know, my digital pencils, because I've decided I'm not doing lead pencils anymore. And I do my digital pencils and they cost me 50 bucks to get made in, in some factory somewhere in the world. And, uh, I'm going to try and sell them for 99 and just the market is the market going to pay 99 is $49 profit enough for me to go on. You know, and what's the scale? Can I sell 10,000 of these a month? I times that by my profit. Like, so you're doing all those numbers in your head all the time when you're trying mm -hmm. to figure out, is it going to fit? Is the customer going to buy it? And can I make enough revenue to grow this business into something that's going to turn a profit? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, and then thinking about who the customer is, right? Which can send us in two different directions as a business. So number one is a consumer product, right? Which is I'm going to yep. sell directly to a consumer. So Apple sells an iPhone directly to the consumer yep. or Apple sells their, you know, their pencil with their tablet directly to the consumer or an enterprise product. Um, so that yep. is 
basically, am I selling to individuals and consumers or am I selling to businesses? Um, let's talk about the difference between the, the two of those, because I think that's probably one of the first things that a founder needs to be thinking about is, okay, is there some kind of uh, market for my product? And then where is that market located? Is it something that the consumer wants? Or is it something that the enterprise uh, B2B world wants? So here's how I think of it. Um, selling to consumers is usually a bigger market, but the price point is less. Mm -hmm. Meaning if I'm going to sell Let's talk about direct-to-consumer, which has exploded in the last kind of five years. Think about a company like Allbirds, right? I'm going to make these cool sneakers. They're going to be made out of wool, and I'm going to not open a retail shop. I'm going to do an online thing. I'm going to go direct-to-consumer. I'm going to have this real kind of marketing digital campaign around social, and I'm going to sell my $99 Allbirds sneakers direct to the consumer. Okay? That's a, that's, you know, that's, a, that's a hard business. You're making shoes somewhere. You're packaging them. You're selling them. You got to sell a stack of sneakers to make a profit, but it's really doable, and a lot of people are doing it. Especially with the trend, I think in the last kind of really ten years for millennials to love more bespoke, customized <laughs> things rather than the <laughs> baby boomer was happy buying mass produced whatever Adidas sneakers, right? right or Nike. Yep, yep. Um, they wanted it was the difference between wanting you know uh, logos plastered all over what they wear versus now it's like if you can't see the logo, that's even better. You know right. what I mean? And quality, right? Over quantity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and so that's been a trend. But so, you know, selling something to consumers, a lower price point, selling something to a company, there's two levels, there's small, medium. So you can sell a product that is going to, you know, fit a, a company doing say under a million in revenue, a product, right? And then there's enterprise where these are bigger businesses that you're going to sell. Typically things like software, think about, you know, Slack, Slack came in as a, communications tool pre-COVID that was essentially like 10 bucks a month, you know, per seat. And, and then all of a sudden, all these kind of people were getting their credit card out and signing up for Slack. And then it went up the chain. All of a sudden, you know, the IT guys and the, the bean counters are like seeing all this kind of Slack money getting spent on corporate mm -hmm. cards. And they <laughs> said, Hey, we want a kind of a corporate account for this. This is a really good product. We like it. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, they got bought by how many billions from, uh, by Salesforce. But anyway, right. So if you're going to sell to businesses, there's small, medium businesses that you can sell a product to, or there's enterprise, large companies, much more difficult, very hard to sit in your kind of, you know, garage and say, Hey, I want to develop an enterprise product. I mean, if you're 22 and trying to you know, think that that's going to be your first go, I've shelled that mm -hmm. idea and try to right. start picking something that you could sell for a lesser price point to a small business. Um, how could mm -hmm. I solve every dry cleaners problem in America? Right. Right. Well, you'd have to know what the problems dry cleaners face. Right. Mm -hmm. How do I, um, how do I solve the, the, the plumbers, you know, business of, of collecting money? Right. Mm -hmm. And, and like, could I build an app for every plumber in America? And mm -hmm. so, so the, you know, selling to a small business is mm -hmm. much easier than going enterprise and it's up on a great way yep. to start. So those are the, and, and it's also things. much easier. Also, right. Well, I was going to say, it's much easier to find out the problems that a small business needs solved than it is a massive business that needs solved. You know, if you if you want to help solve a, a you know, what's right. a problem that a dry cleaner is having? Well, I can walk into my local dry cleaner and have a conversation with the right. owner of the dry cleaner and find out very quickly um, what yep. their what their problems are. Right. Well, one of remember one of my first principles is uh, become an expert in something. So the best person to solve the dry cleaner's dilemma is a dry cleaner who's got an entrepreneurial mind. And so that's the mm -hmm. best way. And that's mm -hmm. why, you know, I encourage younger, 
you know, guys, gals, get, become an expert. It's going to take you five years to become an expert in anything. You can't go and do a survey and ask 10 dry cleaners what their problems are. You know, you're going to get some idea. You're better to go and work in mm-hmm. a dry cleaner for a year and find out all the problems. Mm-hmm. You might have an idea. This is about proper market fit, right? You've got to understand the problem that you're going to solve. So sometimes it's worth going to work in it. If you're passionate about, you know, I got this idea to help dry cleaners. If you're passionate about right. that, go and work in one. That's, that's what you, that's the cost, the time, effort, research. You might spend six months going, this is a dumb idea. And, you know, I worked in a dry cleaner six months. Like I'm taking, I'm talking kind of extreme things here, but that's the level great entrepreneurs go to, to learn what the problems in a business are or a particular vertical. And that's what that you know how to go solve it. So, you know, I had 30 years in the church world. I understood, I understood the business of church, right? So mm-hmm. I knew what problems to solve. Um, and that's why I always say become an expert and it's usually in something that you've been doing or been around or been in the family business. A lot of, a lot of companies get started out, um, from being in, being in and around a business, seeing a problem and taking it from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Let's do, um, let's do two more. Um, and then we'll probably do a part two of this at some yeah. point, cause there's a lot of these to go through, but let, let's so, talk yeah. about the difference between, um, SAS, um, and, and pass so software sales um so you've got these are and these are kind of two directions like a a lot of startups are coming into these two like launching with these two names behind them right into these worlds but essentially uh most common startup business models are basically SaaS, which is software of service as service which we kind of just mentioned but create a product with features that customers can use under subscription paying a monthly fee for hosting or email marketing or, or you know whatever that whatever that is and then there's kind of that next level which right. is the platform that SaaS companies need to build their software on right so instead of building one from yep. scratch faster and a cost efficient ways to build it on top of an existing established platform um, so let's talk about the difference between right. two of the, the you know kind of those two yep and I'll throw it for the one out just for fun, BAS, B-A-S, mm-hmm. banking as a service. There's a big yep. upheaval going on in finance right now. And it's just not around mm-hmm. crypto and blockchain. It's it's actually pro- building the rails to provide. You're seeing all these companies issuing cards now, right? Mm-hmm. And, and like even even like Venmo and Robinhood, they're they're issuing plastic so you can go and, you know, spend the money that you're storing in those those kind of digital wallets. But the whole mm-hmm. finance and, and banking as a service is another thing. The thing to focus about anything that's sold as a service or as a subscription is highly, highly scalable. And scalable means you build it once and you go and sell it a million times for no extra work. Mm-hmm. Basically, it, that's the power of software. Bill Gates used to do it. They used to do it on floppy disks and they went to CDs. Now it's just in the cloud. You get it as a service, right? I didn't buy on premises software and put it in a hard drive server in my office. It's just sitting out there on the internet in, you know, what we call the cloud, which is like a million computers all connected. And basically mm-hmm. I store the software on, on those cloud servers. And then I can go and charge 10 bucks a month to go and access the software, put the widget in my local box, you know, my local laptop and use the software as a service as I need it. And that's typically priced monthly or yearly, right? I'm going to buy a whole year and I use this product. And everyone listening to this is subscribed to a ton of these whether you're right. or not, right? Mm-hmm. You, are, mm-hmm. you, are, you are paying a lot of money right now to access. Um, there's apps on your phone that are charging you two ninety nine a month, right? Mm-hmm. So this whole thing was really, you know, came out of the tech industry. Software changed about 10 years ago when cloud computing really got the scale. And then, you know, 
famously at Amazon, who was using a lot of, you know, cloud services for their products, built their own AWS. My company sits on AWS. It's number one now. Um, mm -hmm. you know, so some software as a service is software that's not installed locally. It's in, it could be in an app store. Apple comes along, they build a bunch of apps. They go, oh, we're in a grand app store. You guys can build software and we'll take 30%. Uh, massive revenue for Apple, right? So, mm -hmm. um, software is as a service. It's the most incredible thing that's happened in the last 10 years because it is unlimited. You can just unlimitedly scale this thing, build it once, sell it a million times. You can't do that, you know, making, making pencils or sneakers or anything else. It's, uh, I mean, you could do it, but the scale is different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. Awesome. Well, this was great. Um, Good way to close out the year and our first five episodes yeah. of Kings and Priests. Um, hey, listen, if you're listening and you've been just enjoying these first episodes that we've put out, uh, do us a huge favor. Go online and, and rate the show. Leave us a review. Share it around to some friends. Um, really excited about what we're going to be doing next year. We'll be back in the new year. We're going to be uh, interviewing uh, all kinds of different folks and business leaders and entrepreneurs. We're going to be uh, you know, just coming up with business ideas on the spot. We're going to be doing all kinds of different um, things really in our main journey is again, just to our, our main goal uh, really is to just help people who feel a calling and a desire to uh, serve God through business um, yep. and to do that and do it well. So uh, you can follow us on Instagram. We are Kings and Priests podcast. We're on Twitter, Kings and Priests pod and uh, excited about just putting more content out to you over the next couple of months. So have an amazing Christmas. And we'll see you back here early next year. 